Amen. What a blessing to be in God's house this morning and what a wonderful thought to, to think of the day the, that one day in His presence is better than anything else. To think of the fact that our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, has come so that we might have life and life everlasting. Over the last few weeks, we have been talking about the least likely. We have been studying those who are the least likely characters within Scripture that end up playing major roles within God's redemptive purpose and work within this world. Indeed, if you're picking teams, you might say the least likely to win a game for the rest of the year is Georgia Tech. But understand this, those who seem to be the least likely are the ones that God often chooses to do great and mighty work. Think about who we've seen. That shepherd boy, David, on the backside of the hills of Bethlehem, watching over his father's flock as the youngest kid, who is then called out by God to serve as the king, the next king of Israel. Think about those four fishermen on the shores of Galilee who were called out by Jesus to be his disciples and to impact this world for the cause of his kingdom. Think about that wee little man, Zacchaeus, as he was up in a sycamore tree called by Jesus to come down, to walk with him, to experience the grace, the redemption of Jesus Christ, and then to participate in reconciliation and restoration to all those around. Think about that humble tax collector as he went into the courts, knelt down off to the side and pleaded with God, called out upon him, Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Aren't you thankful this morning that God doesn't just use the ones that seem to be the most likely uh, for him to take and to use for his kingdom. But he oftentimes uses the least likely. The fact that he would take any of us and, and clean us up despite our failures, our, our faults, our failures and our flaws. God would take us and watch it, wash us in the blood of Jesus Christ, redeem us by his grace, and then make us useful in his kingdom to further expand his glory to the ends of the earth. Aren't you thankful this morning that our God is a redemptive God. It is good, good to be His child. Today we have come together as a spiritual family to celebrate one of the ordinances that the Lord left His beloved bride, the church, to commemorate Him, to celebrate His life, His death, and His work of redemption He has done on our behalf. The elements, the, uh, the elements that we have before us today in the supper of our Savior that we often call the Lord's Supper, these elements are to remind us, they are to call us to rejoice in the work of redemption that Jesus Christ has performed so that we might celebrate our union with one another in our Savior's kingdom. And as we come today, this is more than a meal. This is more than just a bread and a cup. This is a symbol of our Savior's redemptive work that He has done on our behalf so that we might be united to Him and to one another. Indeed, when Jesus went to eat His Last Supper, He did not have the option of naming that Last Supper He would eat before He died. He went and He ate one of the most significant and symbolic meals that has ever been eaten within this world. He ate a meal that was designed by God 
to show his redemptive purpose that was designed by God to show the gospel. This meal that Jesus eats the night before his death is a meal that was designed to tell the story of redemption, to tell us the story of salvation, to exalt the son, Jesus Christ, and to remind each of us to live with expectant joy each day because one day our redeemer will return for us and we'll live with him. This meal is full of symbolism and significance. And we need to understand that this mill preaches the gospel. This mill displays God's grace. This mill is a display of the creation of a new covenant through the blood and work of Jesus Christ so that we might be forgiven of our sins and brought into God's kingdom. Let's today turn to Matthew and let's join him as we look at the supper of our Savior, why it was significant then and what it means for us today. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 and following, and let's stand in honor of the reading of this, God's holy and inspired word. And here in this passage, we see that significant supper of our Savior. Let's read beginning in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Father, We thank you. We thank you that we can come this morning and celebrate this significant and symbolic meal. That we can partake of this bread and partake of this cup, Father, so that we might be reminded of your redemption that has come through Jesus Christ so that we would not have to face the wrath of the living God. We ask this morning that you would lead us and guide us, that your Holy Spirit would come and give us wisdom. Uh, Father, allow us to understand and apply this scripture in our lives in such a way that we would go out differently than we came in. And Father, that everything we say and do in this time would be to the furtherment of your kingdom. Lord, we ask now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, we see the Lord's Supper is a time of reflection, a time of remembrance, a time of rejoicing for the Christian as we celebrate our redemption through Jesus' sacrifice. This is what this passage is all about. The Lord's Supper is significant. It is symbolic, but it is a time for the Christian to come and to reflect upon their life, to remember who Jesus was and what he did, and to rejoice in the redemption that we have tasted through the work of Jesus Christ as we come to this morning, we are going to look at the origin of this, of this ordinance. We are going to look at the elements of this ordinance. And we are going to look at the participants within this ordinance. As we begin this morning, we begin with the origin of the ordinance. The origin of the ordinance. 
I want you to see a couple of significant things and, and I want you to understand exactly what is going on as Jesus is celebrating this last Passover there in the upper room. I want you to see a couple of specific things that are important for us to know and understand. First of all, I want you to understand where the location that they are celebrating this ordinance. They are celebrating it uh, there uh, on the Temple Mount or they're close to the Temple Mount. They're inside the walls of Jerusalem and they're celebrating Passover over and this temple mount was no ordinary place this was a very significant place this was a place where many of the acts significant acts of redemptive history within god's kingdom had been performed on this temple mount in fact the first story i want you to remember when you understand that this upper room is located there uh, near the temple mount i want you to understand this is the place This is the area, at the very least, where Abraham took his son Isaac to be sacrificed. Indeed, this seems to be the area, and there are many scholars who believe that this mount was the Mount Mount Moriah, where Abraham climbed and took his son Isaac, bound him, and offered him to God as a sacrifice. This is also the same mountain on which David... Which David, on which David erected an altar to Yahweh after the death angel had been stopped in 2 Samuel chapter 24. This was the place where as David had sinned against God, he had called for census to be taken so that he could count his warriors so that he might know how big a group he had, how great a, an attack he could launch, how significant his men were so that he could accomplish uh, great victories for himself. God had told his people people not to take a census and for that he began to strike people dead throughout the kingdom of Israel that death angel killed 70,000 people but here on this mount was the same place where that death angel stopped and where David erected uh, an altar to Yahweh to worship him for stopping that uh, and spare stopping the killing and sparing the rest of Israel The third thing I want you to remember about the Temple Mount is that this is also where Solomon's temple was. Not only did David build an altar there, but Solomon built his temple on this mount. Indeed, this temple was erected so that sacrifices could be made to Yahweh, so that the people's sins could be forgiven when they came and sacrificed suitable animals. And it did it in faith toward him and asked him to forgive them. Indeed, this is a significant place for here on the Mount of Solomon, here here on the Temple Mount of Solomon, where the blood of bulls and goats was offered to God for forgiveness of sin where David's altar had been erected to worship Yahweh for stopping the death death angel and sparing the rest of Israel here on this mount where there was a son taken up that mountain and offered to God as a sacrifice until there was a suitable sacrifice and substitute provided by the living God. This is a special place. This is a special place. Indeed, here we find Jesus Christ, the one who is the ultimate suitable sacrifice for sins. The one who is that special sacrifice for sins. Here we find the one who is sufficient for, to pay the sacrifice for all sin, for all men, mankind. Here we find him instituting the Lord's table, the Lord's supper on this night. 
But not only is it a special location, but also I want you to see the origins of this ordinance in the special day, in the special event that he was celebrating for this day and this meal indeed were significant. Jesus institutes this meal in connection with the Passover meal that would have come on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Here is Jesus as they begin to celebrate the Passover. He is celebrating God's mighty act of deliverance and salvation of his people from bondage and slavery in the kingdom of Egypt long ago, but he is also beginning to tie and unfold that this is connected to the work that he is going to do, that just like Moses led some people out from the land of Egypt from bondage and slavery, he is about to lead his people out of bondage and slavery. And so on this night, the Israelites would have celebrated that night when their, when their forefathers had taken lambs and offered them as sacrifices, taken the blood and spread it on the mantles of the door, spread it on the doorpost so that indeed the death angel would pass over and they would be spared from that plague of killing the firstborn. And Jesus is here on this same night instituting the Lord's Supper putting before them a new meaning for this Passover meal, putting before them a fuller meeting for this Passover meal, celebrating the fact that God would deliver His people not just from the bondage and slavery in Egypt, but He would ultimately deliver people from what? The bondage and slavery of sin. See, Charles Spurgeon says it so wonderfully when he says it this way. The Jewish Passover was made to melt into the Lord's Supper as the stars of the morning dissolved into the light of the sun. Have you ever been there watching the horizon? The stars are everywhere and then the sun peeks over. And starts to creep higher and higher up into the up into the sky. And as it creeps up, what happens to all the other stars? They just fade into the background. Spurgeon says that's exactly what the Jewish Passover meal was designed to be. It was it was designed by God to melt into the background as as the Lord's Supper came to the forefront. In this special place, on this sacred night, at this significant meal, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And this origin draws to the point of the fact that He indeed is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. The origin of this supper, of this ordinance, is Jesus Christ Himself giving us on the Temple Mount at the time of Passover the understanding that He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Secondly, this morning, let us look at the elements of the ordinance. Let us look at there at the elements of the ordinance. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper has two basic elements. First of all, the bread and then the cup. The bread we see in verse 26. Jesus comes to the table and, and he, after he takes some bread and after blessing it, he breaks it and he disperses it to the disciples and then he says to them, take and eat. Jesus knows and understands exactly what he is facing. He understands this is the last meal prior to him leaving tomorrow. He understands he's about to die. He has to prepare his people, his disciples to to walk without him in the midst of this world. Here in this passage, Jesus is linking 
the Lord's Supper, with the Passover feast, and ultimately with the redemption of God. He is linking together the exodus of Moses when the people come out from bondage and slavery in Egypt to His people who will come out of the bondage and slavery to sin. He is bringing them out. And so when it's time to serve the bread, Jesus takes it, He blesses it, He breaks it, He passes it around the table. And at that point, they would have normally stood up and said something along this matter. This is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. This is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. But this time He doesn't raise up the bread and say that. He doesn't say that at all. He changes it. He gives it a new meaning. And He says, take, eat. This is my body. This is my body. He equates His body with unleavened bread that strengthens and sustains the people who are redeemed and let out of captivity. Indeed, Isaiah 53 is significant because it points out exactly what Jesus is doing in verses 4 through 6. For in his body, he is taking upon himself, he will take upon himself the penalty of sin so that we might be forgiven and made new. For it says in Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet We ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to what? To fall on him. Jesus is demonstrating that this bread is a symbol of His body which is going to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. Jesus wants His disciples to understand that that indeed they must take and eat. They must participate in this. And how can they take and eat? They do it by faith and not not, uh, simply by saying that this bread magically becomes Jesus' body. They do it by faith. They put their faith, their hope, and their trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And so when they eat the bread and they receive this meal, they are reminded of the sacrifice when they see Him tomorrow on that cross, they should remember that on that cross, Jesus is bearing the penalty for who? For you and for I, for themselves. And so as we come, we understand 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, when it says that He has now bore our sins in His body so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Indeed, what a great blessing it is to know that the body of Jesus is represented in the bread that we will partake so that we can celebrate the fact that He bore the penalty for your sins and my sins. Secondly, not only do we see the element of the bread, but also the element of the cup, the fruit of the vine. For Jesus takes this fruit of the vine. This would have been the third cup of the of the Passover meal. And that third cup is called the cup of what? The cup of redemption. And He raises that cup up. And as He lifts it up, He says, this is My blood of the covenant. Surely this is a reference back to Exodus 24.8. He is, he is reminding the people of what Moses did after they had received at Mount Sinai the the commands of God, after they had been consecrated as a covenant people, Moses takes the blood of slaughtered animals and he puts a little bit, sprinkles a little bit on the altar. And what does he do with the rest of it? He sprinkles it on the people. 
as a sign of the covenant. Jesus says, listen, I've got a new covenant. In that covenant, you were redeemed from slavery in Egypt. You were called out and you were made God's own children. But understand, that is a picture of what is to come for the new covenant. Is when Jesus redeems people from slavery to sin. For Jesus is saying by this that my blood is a covenant sacrifice and all who drink of it by faith will be saved. They will receive salvation. Moses and all of the all of those others under the old covenant under the old testament they sacrificed bulls and goats so that they might be covered and cleansed from sin but let me ask you did the blood of the bulls and goats save a single person in the old covenant absolutely not absolutely not and so jesus is telling us uh that 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 was a foreshadowing and now he is fulfilling the new covenant hebrews chapter 9 says that these sacrifices were a foreshadowing of the once and for all sacrifice of jesus christ and his blood that makes that redeems men from their sin and makes them acceptable to god this cup of redemption and this statement was used by jesus to initiate and introduce the full salvation through his blood poured out willingly for us on the cross i want you to understand this jesus says take and drink this cup and he knows tomorrow he's going to pour out his blood as a sacrifice to redeem your sins and my sins and i don't want you to miss this jesus didn't die by a divine accident jesus died by divine design Jesus died because the Father saw fit. Father, our Father God saw fit to lay the wrath and penalty, the wrath of His judgment and justice upon Jesus and the full weight of our penalty upon Him. Jesus died a satisfactory substitutionary death because He was innocent without charge and we are guilty beyond measure. Jesus died willingly. He, he allowed Himself to be be put there on the cross of Calvary. He willingly took up the drunk the cup of redemption, drunk it down, turned it over, and said, it is finished. And Jesus drank that cup of redemption so that you and I would not have to drink the cup of God's wrath. Jesus drank that cup of redemption so that you and I would be able to be part of His covenant children. See, What a blessing. Let me ask you this morning, have you drunk that cup of faith? Have you by faith received that new covenant that Jesus presents here in this passage? Let me ask you, there are two cups set before you today. There's the cup of God's wrath and the cup of God's redemption. The cup of God's wrath places your faith in nothing other than yourself and what you can do and how you can get to God. But the cup of God's redemption rests in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And if we drink the cup of redemption by faith, trusting in the blood and body of Jesus Christ, we will be forgiven. For these are signs to point us to the work of Jesus Christ. These elements in this final meal, in the supper of our Savior, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, the fruit of the vine, these are signs and symbols. Let me ask you, when was the last time you got out at the sign that said 10 more miles until your destination and you started hooping and hollering and dancing around and going 
acting the fool around the sign because you said 10 more miles, 10 more miles. It's only 10 more miles to go. Here's the reality. The supper at the table doesn't save you. The Savior saves you. And we don't need to dance around the signs and think that they are somehow special. They are symbolic. They are something that does not save us, but they point us away to Jesus Christ. The elements of this ordinance are not intended to be an ends of salvation in themselves. They are given by God to get us to look to Christ, who is the true bread of life, who is the true fruit of the vine. For indeed, He is the full and final redemption for all mankind if we would repent of our sins and place our faith in Him. These are the elements of the ordinance. But let's finally see this morning the participants of the ordinance. These participants are those who had left behind everything. They had left behind the ways of the world so that they might follow Christ. They believed what He said. They trusted Him as the Messiah for their salvation. These were the ones who were invited to partake of this supper of our Savior. These are the ones who are gathered to Him. There is a promise given to those participants within this passage. So no matter how bad tomorrow is and no matter how dark things get, I will eat and drink this cup again with you. I will partake of this meal again with you. Notice there in verse 29, He says, I'm going to eat and drink this cup with you again when? When I come into the Father's kingdom in verse 32 but after i have been raised aren't those great moments of hope aren't those great pictures of hope isn't that something worth rejoicing over that we know when we celebrate the lord's supper it is not a picture of full and final devastation and destruction of our savior it is a a picture of full and final redemption from our sin as we come today to this table we ought to be rejoicing The next day, Jesus was beaten and killed. But this night, He leaves them in the midst of the Lord's Supper with a picture of hope. And as we come today, we see in verse 30 that they go out from the hymn, having sung a hymn, they go out rejoicing. They sang that hymn, and probably it was a Hillel hymn, a hymn of praise from Psalm 113 through 118, probably those final five, uh, those final uh, hymns in Psalm 115 through 118 would have been sung, and the disciples don't know what's about to happen. They don't know everything that's going to unfold. They don't know that before the next night falls their master would have been arrested would have been tried would have been beaten would have been condemned and crucified they don't know that he would have been buried in a borrowed grave they don't understand the truth that he was headed to his death as uh, to be crucified as a common criminal but praise god jesus knows exactly where he's going out of there and he walks out rejoicing because now new life can flow to all of those who come to him Graciously, He bore in His body our sin debt so so that we might be counted righteous. Lovingly, He poured out His blood to redeem us from God's wrath. Willingly, He died in our place so that we might have everlasting life. And Jesus now has given us the Lord's Supper as a time of reflection, a time of remembrance, a time of rejoicing so that we would make much of the redemption of God that spares us from His wrath. Let me ask you this morning. First of all, 
Do you know Jesus? Have you taken by faith that His body and His blood are the only substitutionary sacrifice that can save you from your sins? If you haven't, then this morning the first step you need to take is to put your faith in Him and not in yourself. Second question is, if you have believed in Him, is there anything that you are allowing to separate from you from Him? Is there any place that you are struggling in sin and uh, having uh, broken fellowship with the Father? And if there is, now is the time for us to, to turn those areas over to God. To ask Him for forgiveness. To ask Him to, to make us new. Because this morning... I want, to under, I want you to understand, Jesus left the upper room and He left that last supper, the Lord's Supper. He left heading to the cross to pay for your penalty, pay the penalty of your sin and my sin so that we might be saved and have everlasting life. This morning, He went to the cross for you, but I want you to know full well that this morning there is room at the cross for you to come and to receive Him by faith this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You that in the midst of these moments, Father, we can reflect, reflect on who You are and what You have done. We can remember the great salvation that has come through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Father, we can rejoice because we don't have to taste Your wrath but rather we can stand in your redemption. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who does not know you, Father, I pray that you would move in their heart now to come to the foot of the cross. Father, for there is room here for them. Lord, let them give their hearts unreservedly to you and to you alone. For those of us who are believers, I pray that you would deal with our hearts, move us and change us, shape us into your image so that we might make known your glorious gospel in the midst of our lives. Lord, lead us and guide us in this time of invitation now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing hymn.